Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Hello, Hostel Homies. This episode is brought to you by The Hostel Group. Visit thehostelgroup.com and support hostels by booking direct. Hello, Hostel Homies. Coming to you live from Barcelona, Spain. Uh, This is my last day on the 10-week Euro trip. Uh, Haven't gotten sick the entire time, haven't felt sad the entire time, and today I just feel terrible. And I think it's my body's way of saying like, hey, you got it. You shouldn't leave, man. Just fucking stay. And there's in the back of my mind, I'm like doing the math of like, what's the worst that could happen if I just missed my flight home tomorrow? Um, so you'll see next week if I if I decided to stay or if I made my way back to New York City. I realized that this trip, I didn't do that many interviews with the people I was actually meeting along the way, which is really the point of the podcast. Um, but I think I was just doing a lot of reflecting and focusing on myself during this trip. So. There will be a lot of episodes where I reference uh, experiences or people I met during this this trip for the past 10 weeks. This episode today was recorded a few weeks ago when I was in Granada, and it was recorded over the phone with someone from San Diego, California. So this was Byron Bunda, and Byron is really tapped into the hostel world. He runs Backpacker Biz as well as American Hostels, which we will dive into more into the second part of this interview. This first part of the interview mostly focuses on the Australian working holiday visa. This is a topic I've been wanting to discuss on the podcast, and Byron was the perfect candidate to describe what the process is like to get there as well as the experiences that you can have during that year in Australia. Please enjoy part one of my conversation with Byron Bunda. You actually reached out about a theme that I've been wanting to talk about for a while because a lot of the people I meet when I travel have done this, but this is the uh, Australian working holiday visa. And I, I want to get into your experience with that in a second, but before that, I'd just like to get your, your background with travel and why traveling is something that's important. So most people that love to travel uh, say that they have the travel bug and to you know use that metaphor for me i got the travel bug when i was in college through a program called semester at sea Mm -hmm. so semester at sea in a nutshell is a floating university that's on a cruise ship and they travel around the world on semester long voyages and the students get to explore each port of call while taking university courses for credit while they're out at sea and that's when I became really into traveling was after doing semester at sea. Amazing. I love the fact that you can tie in a voyage to, to any sort of education. It, it, there, there's really nothing like it. Um, it's students from around the world. The program is based here in the United States. So it definitely has mostly American college students. Mm-hmm. However, they, they definitely take students from uh foreign universities also, which is great because then you're getting exposure not only to the people that um, you're meeting in each port, but also the foreign students that you're taking courses with and living 
on the ship. Just out of curiosity, were there people that you met from different parts of the world that you uh, you are still in contact with or who maybe inspired you to visit where they're from? One of the small disadvantages to semester at sea is that instead of spending one college semester getting immersed in a single culture, you're traveling around the world, spending a few days in each country. Ah, and so it, it's a great sampler platter for college students who have not spent a lot of time overseas, uh, but it doesn't really give you the depth to really get to know people and get to know a place. But based off of where I was in my life, I'm really glad that I did it because there are places like India and Vietnam that I just breezed through during semester at sea. And after finishing university, I returned to those countries and explored them uh, more in depth, spending more than a month in each of those places because I had a sample of them, you know, less than a week. And I realized I had only scratched the surface and I had to get back there and and really um, get more immersed in it. Yeah, I like that way of looking at it too, like sampling different places. And I think when you're younger, it works out better to take those those quicker trips, those kind of two-day, three-day trips. And as you get older, you you tend to want, uh, to use your words, kind of a more in-depth way of seeing a, a place. And to get into the theme of the episode, that's kind of what you got in Australia when you, were, when you were there for a longer period of time. So what is the first word that comes to your mind when you think about your time in Australia? So the first word for me is uh, it's still kangaroo. <laughs> And, and, and the reason why the reason why it's still kangaroo is because uh, it's really the, the nature um, that makes Australia unique. Mm-hmm. There, there are plenty of places in the world that have beautiful beaches and exciting, vibrant cities. Uh, but it, Australia's natural environment is what makes it so special. Uh, yeah, just go to Instagram and follow Australia and you'll see just the most unusual wildlife and the most bizarre scenery and whether it's a desert landscapes out in the bush or the vibrancy of the Great Barrier Reef. For me, what really stayed with me uh, is, is just still that, that natural environment because that, that's something that you don't see anywhere else in the world. I think a lot of people stereotype Australia with this party country, which is, you know, it's it's hard to call an entire country a place to party. But I think people so much focus on that and they forget about the the actually very important part of it, which is which is, yeah, you're right, the the nature and the environment. And <laughs> I love the fact that it was kangaroo. And I feel like if you were someone who was lying about going to Australia, that's maybe what they would also say. <laughs> you know, it's just like, what's the first oh, yeah, word? Like, course. oh, kangaroo. Like, did you even go? <laughs> were you? Were you there? Yeah, Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, I would say Foster's beer for that for that long time I was out there. Foster's beer is what is what sticks with me. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Australia's uh, reputation for partying because I think that maybe that's just what happens to people that stay in hostels and meet Australians. Mm-hmm. Because Australians always seem to be like some of the most uh, hard partying people in every hostel. Yes. So I don't know if they get this vibe that like if Australians always party hard when they're in hostels around the world, then they must like party even harder when they're in their own home country. But I would honestly say that especially 
if, if you're in Sydney, like that's not the case. They have these famous lockout laws uh, where you can't get into the bars um, after um, I think it's one thirty at night. And, you know, they have all these rules about, uh, oh, we can only serve shots up until this time. And, you know, you're ordering around for your friends, but you can only order this many drinks at a time. So if you're actually in Australia to party, like, I think you'll be sorely disappointed. If you really want to, like, <laughs> have an Australian party, like, go to Bali because probably 50% of the tourists there are from Australia. And obviously there's no rules about how much you can drink when you're in Bali. <laughs> that's, I think that's a great way of looking at it because you're right. It's, it's unfair to, to judge people when they're in I, for a lack of a better term, hostile mode, right? And if, if we only mm-hmm. met people from a certain area in hostels, we're going to get that stereotype of, oh, they, they drink all the time and they, you know, they stay in, in kind of dirty areas and they maybe like don't shower as often. Like, no, it's just everyone in a hostel. <laughs> we're just talking yeah, about exactly. people who stay in hostels and Australians just happen to be, to be people who, who you tend to see a lot of the time in it. So... For the people who aren't familiar, can you explain what the Australian working holiday visa is? So the Australian working holiday visa is uh, it's a visa just like you get to visit any other country. Um, but what it enables you to do is to stay uh, for up to 12 months. And it also enables you to work legally while you're in that country. And uh, I think that that's pretty unique because uh, as a you know, you know fully developed country, it, it, it's an expensive place to travel. Mm-hmm. And so normally you would have to save up a lot of money if you're going to go all the way to Australia, which is a pretty remote place for, for most people, pretty expensive flight. Uh, so now with this working holiday visa, you can go there, you can take a long trip, and you can use your working privileges to support that trip. So you don't have to go out there uh, with a whole uh, bundle of money. You just need uh, enough to get your start. And then with a year, there's, there's so much that you can see and do and, and you'll never run out. So the process is um, it's really straightforward and easy. It just like most visas, you apply online, you pay a fee wait a little while and boom, you're good to go. And just, uh, I, I, we don't need an exact number, but what's the, what's kind of the price range of that fee? Uh, so it's 450 Australian dollars, mm-hmm. which is obviously an insane amount of money if you were just going on a trip. Yeah. So yeah if yeah. you're just going on a trip to Australia, just get the tourist visa. You know, I think it's only $20 for most countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you think about if you're actually going there to get a job and work, um, that upfront investment, like you will recoup that, you know, within your first week of work in Australia. Well, and kind of like you said, they, I think it's very admirable of a country to, to make it easier for especially young travelers to come out and, and work and actually be able to survive while they're traveling for, for a long period of time in their country. From what I hear that, that initial fee isn't a way to, you know, a reason to scare anyone away. It's, it's actually seems like a pretty good deal. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a good deal. Australia has a really uh, tight job market. They don't have enough people to fill all the jobs that they have. So it's very easy to get a job. And the minimum wage is very high. 
it's about eighteen dollars, uh, eighteen Australian dollars per hour, and so it's 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 a great deal because if you want to work, you'll you'll find a job quickly, and it will pay you well. So a lot of the people who I've talked to who've done this bring up picking fruit as a as a job. So mm-hmm. do you mind just walking through the the typical jobs that you get? as well as what job you had while you were out there. So the reason why everybody talks about the fruit picking and the farm work in Australia is because you're able to get a second year-long working holiday visa if you do specified work. Mm -hmm. So the Australian government will grant you a second year in Australia if you will go out and do certain jobs that I think are particularly um, hard for them to fill. And those jobs include farm work, uh, but they also include some other things like landscaping, construction, mining. There are other jobs that you can do to get that second year. You just you hear about the farm work because those are the easiest jobs to get. And so that's what most backpackers do. There's a special caveat for Americans. Uh, I don't really understand why the Australian government decided to do this, but Australian uh, working holiday visas for uh, Americans is slightly different. Instead of the working holiday visa, it's actually called the work and holiday visa. And with this, <laughs> oh, not confusing at all. Visa, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they did that, but with this slightly different visa, you can get the second year by doing hospitality work, which is so much easier and more enjoyable, in my opinion. Uh, than doing farm work, you, all all it has to be is in a in a rural area. So you can go to a country town and work in a country pub, you know the kind of place that like they stereotype in like the movie Crocodile Dundee, uh, and sure. like it, it, you get paid to you know uh, pour pour beers for you know country folk, and 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 that's that's enough for the Australian government to to sign off on your on your second year. I did not do any sort of specified work for a second year. I spent one year in Australia and um, that was plenty for me. Mm -hmm. So I I, I learned about all of these experiences through my job at Maze Backpackers. With the with the title being hostel homies, the fact that you were uh, you were working at a hostel, I would love to hear about your experiences with that. Yeah. So when I first got to Sydney, I took a job as a bartender because, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, uh, it's pretty easy to find work there. And while I was there working as a bartender, I really wanted to get a job at a hostel. Um, so I started looking, started applying, and I noticed that there was going to be a holiday party for people that work in hostel industry in Sydney. And so I thought to myself, if I can get myself into that party, mm-hmm. then maybe I can land a job. Schmooze your so way in. Yeah. Was, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I got myself in that party wedding crasher style. <laughs> I, I, uh, I put on my RSVP that I was a hostile consultant. And so I went to this party. And while I was there, I saw the general manager of a hostel called Maze Backpackers that I had stayed at as a, as a guest mm-hmm. when I first got to Sydney before I found an apartment. And I approached the general manager 
And I said to him, hey, I stayed at your hostel and I had a really great time, but I had some ideas uh, for ways that it could be even better. And so he heard me out and he listened to my ideas and he said, you know, well, Byron, if, if you think that you're up to the challenge, then why don't you come and work at our hostel? And I, I couldn't believe that he offered me that. I, I was just, you know, making conversation. I didn't expect that it would just lead to a job offer. So right. my job definitely dropped to the floor. But <laughs> I, yeah, I, I quickly said yes. I gave my bar that I was bartending at my notice. And I went over there to Maze as quickly as possible. And my job at Maze Backpackers was, my title was that I was the uh, events and marketing manager. Mm-hmm. So I managed the hostel's social media presence. And I also took care of all the events. This is a really large hostel. It has 482 beds. Holy massive. shit. <laughs> and their goal was to have something fun and interesting for their guests to do every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So it was my job to uh, figure out what we should do, organize it, promote it, and then go out there and actually take people uh, out to see Sydney. And it was the coolest job that I've ever had because, you know, I essentially got paid to be a backpacker in Sydney, Australia. It was literally my job to take people to Bondi Beach and take them to explore the Sydney Harbor and go out to the backpacker bars at night and do whatever we wanted to do to make sure that people were happy and, and continued staying at our hostel. That's, that sounds like a a heaven for a backpacker. Uh, Thank, (laughs) thank goodness you, you were a consultant and you are a, (laughs) you were a damn good consultant that tricked his way into it. Cause that, I mean, it sounds like you got yourself into the, the perfect position that you wanted to be in. What was your experience with hostels before then? Why, why did you want to work at one so badly? I wanted to work at a hostel so badly because I started my career in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of Americans, I just was on that pipeline from high school, university, uh, full-time career job. And because of that, I hadn't really taken any of the time that a lot of people from other countries do through a gap year. I hadn't taken the time to really figure out what it is that I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. So when I finished school, I just prioritized money and I took a job that paid well, but didn't make me happy. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time that I started thinking back on wh- what is it that I really want to do? I remembered my time with hostels on semester at sea and how much I loved hostels. So I first started working as a receptionist at a hostel in San Francisco. And from there, I I just, I I wanted to dive in headfirst and and be involved in hostels in every way possible. That's why I knew that when I went to Australia, I would take the bartending job uh, at first just to get some money rolling in, but that I needed to get myself to a hostel. I think it's great that you went through the, the kind of corporate America lifestyle first so you could feel the contrast between the two so you could I, I think that it correct me if I'm wrong I think you were able to truly appreciate your time working at that hostel because you knew what it was like to have a typical day job you, you might possibly be right if you look at the way that people grow up in the United States uh, we really don't place much of an emphasis on 
um, reflecting and on introspection Mm -hmm. and thinking about like, what are you about? Like what, what really matters to you? How are you going to leave your mark on the world? We just think about, you know, from the time you're in high school, it's all about positioning yourself to get into a good school for university. And then when you're in university, it's about positioning yourself to get a good job, making sure you do the right internships. Mm-hmm. And you don't really stop along the way to, to look around and, and think about like, what is it that I really care about? And so I, I've heard so many stories um, from people in hostels, but also from some of your other guests on, on Hostel Homies, mm-hmm. you know, people that, um, you know, one day woke up and, and realized that, Um, They weren't happy with what they were doing. And so they wanted to make a big change. Mm -hmm. And I have tremendous um, appreciation for other cultures where they they place a higher value on taking that time to really uh, think about who you are and what you want to be. You're running the events and you're running the marketing for this hostel. Are Are you having time? Do you have the time to reflect or are you kind of so in the moment and so busy with all this that 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 time just kind of went by really quickly? Oh, that's a good question. I think that the biggest way that that job at Maze Backpackers helped me reflect is because I was getting intimately involved in the stories of the people that stayed at my hostel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Australia, because so many of the people in the hostel are on these working holiday visas, they're not staying at a hostel for only five nights. They're staying at the same hostel for five weeks. And so instead of just having these surface level conversations where you ask people like, okay, where are you from? Where are you traveling to? What have you seen so far? What's next on your itinerary? But you actually start to get to know them. And, um, you know, you hear more details about their family and, and what's going on in the other aspects of their life. And so from, Getting involved in, in in comparing my experience to everyone else's experience, uh, I think that was like that was the biggest point of reflection for me. What were the reasons why people came to Australia? Mm-hmm. I heard all sorts of stories. You know, you had people there who um, also had corporate jobs and decided to sell everything and, and go on a working holiday. You had some people that were on gap year. I heard stories about people that ended very long, serious, romantic relationships. And so coming to Australia on their working holiday was like starting a new chapter for them. And so getting details about all these people, I think that gave me like a really good basis for comparison to why am I here? Why did I do this? What's next for me? Are there any examples specifically of people that you met who truly were taking that time in Australia to reflect and to better themselves and, and how, how they were doing it? For most of the people that I met there, in, in a general sense, I saw them grow personally. Mm-hmm. I saw people that started their working holidays and were fresh to Australia and they were like a deer in the headlights and they had no idea what was going on and they were feeling a little bit homesick and I watched them grow and figure it out and go out there and, and I, you know, get a resume written and pound the pavement and find a job and then get an apartment with some other uh, backpackers. And so I, I saw those people, you know, who were kind of learning these life skills and figuring it out. Um, I, I saw that all the time. And I think that one of the, one of the most like 
I, I, the most touching example that I have was I, I was, when I first moved there, I, I was roommates with this young guy from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had just finished high school. He had a girlfriend back in Germany and he came on his working holiday uh, with some other friends from back home. And he was feeling really down and out. His friends were downstairs, like drinking box wine and having fun. And he's upstairs in his room. Cause like he misses home. He misses his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And he's starting to think like, was this whole thing a mistake? You know, there's so many Germans who do the working holiday in Australia that I think that there's definitely, you know, like a cultural expectation or pressure around it. And so, um, I understood where he, what his mindset was there that he felt like he was supposed to be doing this, even if it wasn't right for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I sat there and we talked for a couple hours, and I I didn't want to try to pretend that I knew him or his family or his situation, so I just like stuck to what I did know. I just stuck to like what I knew about Australia, and I said, "This is this is your one chance. This is your one working holiday visa. You don't get a second one five years later if you want a do over." So, you know, go out there and make the most of it because regardless of whether you go back to Germany next month or next year, like it, Germany's still going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not going anywhere. Whereas if you decide that you're fed up with Australia, you pack up and you leave, that door is not going to be open for you to come back later on down the line. Sure, you can come here on another vacation, mm-hmm. but this experience to actually live here and go through all this stuff, you know, you won't, you won't get a second chance at that. And that resonated with him in, in a way that was like really surprising to me because about four months later, after I pretty much completely forgotten about this kid, mm-hmm. he sent me a message on WhatsApp and he said, hey, Byron, I'm up in Queensland. I'm working on a melon farm. I'm making all this money. I really love the other uh, backpackers that I work with. I'm having so much fun. And I'm so glad that, you know, we talked because I was like, you know, hours away from booking my flight back to Germany. And now I'm so glad that I stayed. <laughs> and, oh, like, cool. That was, that was one of like the most like touchy feely, heartwarming things that I've ever heard someone say to me. God, isn't that amazing when when you make a difference or an impact in someone's life, especially while traveling? A question which I which I'll bring up in this episode as well. But a question I always like to bring up is, you know, name a person who you met while you were traveling that had an impact on you. But you had a very large impact on on this guy and his whole life. And I, I just yeah, I just think that's absolutely amazing that that you were able to get that message from him too, to confirm that. So being someone who observed others going through these changes and, and you know, bettering themselves, let's, let's talk about you. Let's talk about the changes that you went through, the, you know, the beginning of, of your time in Australia towards the end. I mean, what, what changes did you go through? Did it, did it affect the way you looked at life, at yourself in general? So I, I think that the, the biggest way that I grew during my time in Australia was, uh, I, for me, this was, this was a transition from, uh, my itchy feet to, to kind of wanting to settle down. Uh, I had been on multiple long backpacking trips before going to Australia times where I spent four months out there on the road, uh, just going from place to place, meeting people every day, new experiences, new faces. And I'd always loved that. Uh, but I think that part of it might have to do with my age, uh, being 26, as opposed to just being like a fresh face, like 19 year old off mm-hmm. to see the world. 
I started craving the the familiarity of people that knew me deeply, knew me for a long time. You know, I wanted to have a, a neighborhood that was my neighborhood where, oh, you know, this is my favorite Thai food place and that's my favorite park to hang out at. And although it's really fun and exciting and interesting to just constantly be exploring new things and new places, uh, I, I did feel that I wanted that familiarity. So that's what I changed about myself over the course of my year in Australia from the time that I first got there, being so excited to explore this new country and experience all that it had to offer to ending my year in Australia saying, you know what, I'm ready to go back to the United States, settle down, maybe have a dog (laughs) and just have a home. God, the idea of having a dog. I love that. (laughs) I love that as an example. You use the term travel bug at the beginning as this kind of this way that people say they want to consistently do it. They want to consistently do it like when you're young. It's it seems like you're not going to get rid of it. And it's it's nice that you were able to not get rid of it, but uh, kind of satisfy it and and get to go back and and start, I, I, for lack of a better term, start your life uh, the way the way that you want to that you want to start it. Yeah. So. If the if the travel bug is something that infects you because you go out there on a trip and it just it like nestles inside of you, then I would say that at this point, like my travel disease has like gone into remission. Like I don't think that it's like permanently gone. It's it's not like I'm never going to leave the United States again. Sure. But sure. um, you know, I so I, I think that that always like stays inside of you. Mm-hmm. But I do think that. From my own experience and also from lots of other travelers, I've seen that, you know, it it comes in ebbs and flows and, and based off of all the other things that are happening in your life, there's times where you crave that adventure and you want to pick up your backpack and just get out there. Um, And then there's other times where like, you're just, you're good. You're, you're, you're happy to just hang out. I think you just, yeah, you find the healthy way to feed that travel bug, right? You, you figure out what way works for you. And, you know, if, if at the beginning you need to be changing cities every two days and, and that's what's satisfying you, great. But, uh, but I think eventually you find that, that amount and that style that you need to, to truly feed, feed the bug. So, so you don't, yeah. uh, so you're not constantly infected with it. So getting back to, getting back to Sydney, can you walk us through the, the day-to-day working in, in the hostel? So my day in Sydney uh, was always pretty unconventional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I first started there when I was working at May's Backpackers, wanting to do a daytime activity and a nighttime activity. So I wanted to take people out sightseeing during the day, go on a hike, uh, go on a walking tour, and then at night, take them out um, to a restaurant or to a live show or to a bar. That was my goal, to, every, to do a daytime and a nighttime thing. But in my first couple of weeks on the job, I realized that no one was coming to my daytime activities. <laughs> I would be down there at the reception desk waiting for people to like go explore some street art and nobody would show. Mm-hmm. And I tried different things. So, you know, I was like, maybe, maybe it's too early. Maybe I need to like start the activity later because people are still asleep. Or I, you know, I, I tried different things, but eventually I realized that the dynamic, at least there in Sydney, 
was that people wanted to do their own thing during the day. And then at night, that's where they really wanted to congregate with the other guests at the hostel and have like a group experience. And it kind of made sense because when I would ask people what they were doing with their day instead of hanging out with me, they would tell me all sorts of different things. You know, some people want to go check out the museum. Some people just want to go like day drink on the beach. Some people like have their lonely planet and they need to hit all of the historic sites in Sydney. So everybody just has all these like vastly different priorities. But um, I think that the majority of people did want that social hostel experience. And so they'd show up for the nighttime experiences. Uh, Once I figured it out, my daily routine changed. And essentially how it would work is I had the most non-traditional work schedule. You know, I had like the polar opposite of a nine to five. Mm -hmm. Essentially what would happen is I would wake up uh, at some leisurely time, like 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. And I would start working on my side hustle, Backpacker Business Solutions. And so I would pound the pavement from basically about 11 o'clock until four o'clock each day. And then at four o'clock, I would go into the hostel and because that's when people started coming back after their day of sightseeing or if they had jobs, like when they'd start coming home from work. And that's when I would start like hyping up people for whatever we were doing at night. Mm-hmm. So I would knock on everybody's door and I'd say, hey, like it's burger night. Come meet us at the kitchen at seven o'clock. Or I'd say, oh, hey, we're, like, we're going to um, we're going to the Scary Canary tonight. It's the wet T-shirt contest tonight. So make sure you come with us. And so I'd be there trying to get everybody really amped up, create some buzz and some excitement. And then I'd take them out of the hostel to do whatever we were going to do, probably at about 9.30 at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd go out at 9.30. Um, every night we would do something different. It would kind of vary between whether, once it started to get late, did I want to hang out and be a backpacker or did I want to like essentially clock out and go home? Because <laughs> some people they assume that like, oh, I'm working, so I must not be allowed to drink. Uh-huh. And, uh, but that wasn't the case. The management at Mace, they were, they were some of the best people that I've ever worked at because they cared about the results. They didn't care about the method. Mm-hmm. So they didn't dictate to me like, Byron, you need to get people ready at this time and take them there. And you're only, you're not allowed to drink. You know, they, they didn't care about any of that. They said, Byron, we want to make sure that our guests are having a good time. And that their good time is being reflected in the reviews that they're writing after they stay with us. And we don't really care how you do it. Just, you know, figure it out. Find a way. And so, yeah, so (laughs) I would take them out. Uh, I would make sure that they're having a good time. And then if I wanted to call it an early night, I kind of felt like I was... um, like I was the soccer mom, like dropping the kids off at practice. Cause like, I would like take them to the club, uh-huh. you know, we'd like get to the club by like 11 o'clock and everybody like line up out front with their IDs and I'd stand there and I'd like make sure each one of them got in. And like, if any of them were like too drunk to get let in, I'd like make sure that they could get themselves back to the hostel. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then like once everybody else is inside, I'd just say, okay, guys, everyone have fun. Take care of each other. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I would just bounce. I'll just go home and pass out. 
And honestly, like that's the only way that I could sustain this lifestyle because everybody thinks it's really fun to like get paid to go out and drink and party. And like all these bars would give me free drinks because I was bringing in a big crowd of backpackers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everyone thought like, oh man, you know, that's the coolest thing ever. You get paid to like drink free alcohol. Uh, But the only way that you can sustain that is, is if you kind of, um, you know, be disciplined about it. So, you know, maybe there was like one or two nights a week where I would stay with them and I would have fun and we would drink and we would dance and, you know, I wouldn't leave until two o'clock in the morning. But a lot of nights, um, you know, I, I said, look, I know that I want to be functional tomorrow and, you know, <laughs> keep this pace up. And uh, so that's what enabled me to do it. Yeah, finding that balance, right? Because it is, it's it's absolutely taxing. And I love the example of being basically the coolest soccer mom, just <laughs> sending everyone on their way with their with their ecstasy packed lunches and everything like, okay, kids, <laughs> have fun. We'll see you tomorrow. We, uh, I remember being in, in Thailand and, and seeing this guy working at a party hostel. And it was so obvious that this guy was not, was not using your method, right? He was, he was clearly going out with, with the customers every night. And, you know, we maybe got in and we weren't sure if we were staring at this place. So we got in, it's maybe 11 in the morning. And you can tell this guy's trying so hard to hype us up. Welcome to the party. And he's like about to vomit, you know, just like, it was just the saddest, just like, you want to have fun tonight? Like, no, dude, we just want you to sleep. (laughs) We're just scared. (laughs) We're just so scared Uh. for you. So I, I, I want to say that it's, it was maybe a, a blessing that, that a lot of those customers weren't showing up for the daytime events too, because if you're if you're running those, that's that's causing a whole other amount of energy that you're using uh, that you know you probably needed to save for organizing and, and going out with them during the nighttime ones. Um, for for working in a hostel with 400 beds, are there any kind of like snapshot moments? And when I say that, are there any moments where you could sit there and go, "Wow, this is." This is an incredible, like, I'm, I'm surrounded by these people doing this. And I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. I was in Bend, Oregon, and it was just, it was a bunch of people sitting around playing Settlers of Catan while, like, you know, this other group was out there doing, like, a, a yoga class together while these other guys were playing, you know, playing guitar and singing. And it was just this, like, perfect melody of all these young travelers. Do you have any moments like that? That, that stand out as like, wow, I'm, I'm out in Sydney working at a 400-person hostel. I probably wouldn't be seeing this if I was back at home. So my snapshot is both like figuratively a snapshot and then it literally became a snapshot. Mm-hmm. And it happened on Australia Day. So Australia Day is the official national day of Australia. Mm-hmm. And it marks the anniversary of when the first fleet of British ships arrived in Port Jackson, and which is in Sydney. And so it's celebrated annually on January 26th. So this is like one of the biggest holidays for Australians. It's like their version of 4th of July. And so obviously we're a bunch of foreigners living in a foreign country. And so we want to experience all of the, the culture and the traditions of, you know, of this, of this place that we're in. So being that uh, January is, you know, peak summertime in Australia, uh, a lot of people celebrate Australia Day by you know having a barbecue. What we decided to do for May's Backpackers on Australia Day is we gathered up a bunch of people and we took the bus out to Bondi Beach 
and they've got these uh, free barbecues that you can use in the park there. They're like one of the greatest innovations of like Australian society is that like every park has like a free electric barbecue that's just considered like a public good. Like yes. here in the United States, we can't even give people a fucking public bathroom <laughs> so that they can like do their natural bodily functions. Like we, we, it's crazy. But yes. in Australia, like, yeah, we have bathrooms, we have showers. Hell, we'll even give you a barbecue so <laughs> you don't have to bring your own. Like right. this is just, it's what I love about this country so much. Um, so yeah, so we went to Bondi beach, uh, and we went to the free barbecues. And so we were there, we're surrounded by Australian families doing the same thing that we're doing. And the, you know, the place was packed and everybody's wearing their, you know, their shirts that say Australia on them. And it was crazy to be there on Bondi Beach, one of the most famous beaches in Australia, with a bunch of foreigners from all around the world. And we're celebrating Australia Day. And the, the snapshot really came when we decided that we, need, we needed to take a group photo, obviously. Yeah. And so we got everybody to stand together with Bondi Beach in the background. And we had them hold an Australian flag in front of them. And so, you know, we took the picture and yeah, we're all really happy and everything. And then hours later, I go to post the photograph on uh, Maze's uh, Instagram page. And I look at the photo and I'm like, oh God, the, the, the flag is backwards. We're holding the flag <laughs> backwards. Yes. And I'm like, how, how did nobody notice this? <laughs> like, how did nobody notice that we're, we've got the flag completely backwards? And I was like, it's because none of us are, like, are, are, are used to this. Like, this isn't our flag. This is our, <laughs> no, no, no one's like so familiar at looking at the Australian flag that they just intuitively were like, oh yeah, it's backwards, guys. Right, right. Yeah, right. So <laughs> it was just, it was still a perfect photo because it's like, it's all these foreigners that are trying to like be Australian for a day, but like they, they don't quite fully <laughs> get it. So they've got the flag backwards. Yeah, yeah. The, no, the backwards, just... the backwards flag is kind of the, the perfect metaphor for it, huh? Yeah, exactly. And if I knew how to Photoshop it, I still wouldn't because I was, it's just <laughs> like this is this is so symbolic of, of what it was like to be there with you know thirty foreign backpackers from all around the world celebrating someone else's national day. <laughs> <laughs>